We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Open your Bible with me, please, to Matthew 25, and also Revelation chapter number 19 today. I want to use two scripture lessons and two scripture texts. Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, and uh, Revelation 19, the great marriage of the Lamb. I'd like to read from both of these sections. Now I want to speak to you this morning on the marriage supper. The marriage supper. Now what is the marriage supper? When will it transpire? What will it be like? Is it a reality, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Or is it only a fancy that you premillennial preachers and Baptist folk uh, imagine in your mind? Or is it a Bible fact and a Bible anticipation? Or is it only a, an imagination, the marriage supper? What one of us haven't heard a song about the marriage supper? Or a sermon about the marriage supper? Or ask questions about the marriage supper? We read about it in uh, Matthew 25 from the lip of our Lord himself. And we also read about it in Revelation 19 from the lip inspired of God of John the beloved disciple. So as far as authority is concerned, I think we have the finest authority that we, we could possibly hope for in the doctrine of the marriage supper, the fact of the marriage supper. I'm sure the Lord knew what he's talking about when he gave it in the parable of the ten virgins. And I have no doubt but what John, the beloved disciple, well knew what he was talking about when he described it in Revelation chapter number 19. Now in Matthew 25, 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven should be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now who is the bridegroom? The Lord Jesus. Who are the virgins? The wise virgins are the redeemed, and the foolish virgins are religiously lost people. The five of them were wise and the five were foolish. They that were foolish took their religion, their lamp, their outward forms, their denominational ties, their rituals, but took no oil. Oil is a symbol in the, in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. The foolish virgins, though they had all the outward signs, they were virgins, they had lamps, they had uh, garments, they had the same rituals, they were in good company, they sat down and slumbered and slept with wise virgins, but they had no all. They were not really genuinely born again. They had only religion. They had no all. Now, Jesus clearly says, if a man have not the spirit, he's none of his. Now, it matters not to me how religious you may be or how religious you may appear to be. If you don't have the indwelling spirit of God, you're not God's child. A man must be born again. You, you don't get saved by turning over and you leave or by joining the Baptist church or by, by deciding to do good works. That isn't the way. It never has been the way. It never shall be. We're born into the family of God. We're all baptized of one spirit into one body. And you get into the body of Christ by the baptism of the spirit, uh, which operation we call regeneration or being born again. And through the, these foolish virgins did not have that. They had religion, but no oil in the lamp. But the wise took all, that's the saved of the virgins, took all in their vessels. A vessel is a type of the body. 
your body. They had the spirit in their body with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, that's where we are right now. Jesus is at the threshold. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. I have a sermon that I preached here at Tabernacle years ago on the tragedy of the wise virgins. And the tragedy of the wise virgins is that they slumbered and slept with the unwise. And that's a tragic thing when saved people get caught up in the apathy and the coldness and the deadness of religion in our day. That's sad. We that are saved by the Spirit of God ought to look for the Lord Jesus if we're the only person in our church that's looking for the Lord Jesus. We ought to be separated from all the things of the world if we are the only person in our church that's separated. There's no excuse for a saved person slumbering and sleeping with the, with the world and with the religiously lost, you see. But here are wise virgins slumbering and sleeping with the foolish virgins. And at midnight, that's where we are right now. Somebody said this is the 11th hour. I said, no, this is midnight. And at midnight, there was a cry made. What was that cry? Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. That's the midnight cry. Now we sound that often from the pulpit at Tabernacle. Then all those virgins arose, all ten of them arose, and commenced to trim their lamps. And then the foolish discovered that their lamps were going out, and they said, Give us of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you, but instead you go to them that sell and get all for yourselves. You know, you can't save other people. Uh, not a mother in this building can save your child. Not a dad in this building can save your family. Not a neighbor in this building can save your neighbors. As much as you'd like for everybody to have the oil, you have to do exactly what the wise virgins instructed these foolish virgins to do. Go and get for yourselves. Salvation is a personal thing. Every individual must be born of the Spirit of God personally and one at a time and individually. And while they went to buy, while the foolish virgins went to get things in order, the bridegroom came, Jesus came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Now there's what I want to preach about. They that were ready went in with the bridegroom to the marriage and the door was shut. Now later on, uh, the uh, foolish virgins came and said, uh, came to the door, knocked on the door and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now I want you to note verse number 10 again. They that were ready went in with the bridegroom to the marriage. Now let's turn back over again to Revelation 19. And I want to read you another word about the marriage supper that I'm preaching about in this service. In verse 1, Revelation 19, after these sayings, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah. After the things of chapter 17 and 18, and those are the, uh, the record of the destruction of the great harlot religious system, and the uh, destruction also of commercial Babylon, as well as religious Babylon. And uh, after these things, then John said, I heard the voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication 
and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And a smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice. Why? And give honor to him when? For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife the bride hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now look again at verse number seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Now him in verse number seven could refer only to the bridegroom. There's no doubt about that. Who else would you give honor to at this particular point? Who else would bring gladness and joy at this particular point? Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, the lamb. For the marriage of the lamb is at hand. It's ready. And his wife, and that's the bride, that's the church. There's no doubt about that. His wife hath made herself ready. Now her being ready is the righteousness of saints. And she was granted, it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. And linen clean and white in the scriptures is a picture of righteousness and holiness and godliness. And the bride is arrayed in righteousness and holiness and godliness. And the bridegroom is at hand and all things are ready. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him because the marriage of the lamb is come. Now, what is the marriage supper? When will it take place? Where will it take place? And who shall participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb? I don't think it's a fancy. I don't think the marriage supper is only the imagination of my mind. I don't preach on the marriage supper because I read it in M.R. Dehan's book, or Dr. Oliver Green's book, or Dr. John Rice's book, anybody else's book. I read it in God's book. And I believe because the Bible sets it forth, you see, that there is a marriage of the Lamb. Now, a marriage supper of the Lamb to me is as reasonable and as logical as it can be. All the mystery of godliness is working now and shall continue to work until the last foreknown part of the body of Christ is baptized of the Spirit into that body. And when that happens, then Jesus is coming back. I believe the split second that the last soul foreordained of God to salvation gets saved, that will be the second that the Lord Jesus will come again. Now to me, that's as logical as it can be. When a body is complete, it's complete. And throughout all the New Testament, the church is referred to as a body. Now, most of us have a, a complete body. Some may have a dismembered body in the building because of tragedy or because of an operation. But the most of you have a complete body. And your body is a complete unit. Now, suppose somebody were to come along and say, I want to give you something else to add to your body. 
Well, suppose he'd uh, say, well, I, I think I'll just give you uh, one of my eyes. Now we'll have to face, uh, make a face for it and we'll cut a hole in the cheek and we'll set one of my eyes in a new socket and you'll have three eyes. You wouldn't be a body, you'd be a monstrosity. You see, that would not, that would not uh, enhance the body, that would destroy the body as a unit. Suppose somebody would say, well, I tell you, I want to give you my leg, and so fix a place and you'll have three legs. You wouldn't be a human being. Why, you, they'd put you on exhibit somewhere as a monstrosity. You have a unit as you are. Now, that analogy of the church being a body, I don't think is, is an accident. A body is complete. And when that body is complete, you don't add anything else to it. That's logical. That's reasonable. You don't add anything else to it. And if you add anything else to it, you destroy that body. You don't enhance it. You don't make it more attractive and more desirable or more useful. You destroy that body by adding to it. Now, I think the same thing can be said about the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is complete, and I don't know when it's complete, I'm not making this body. I'm not forming this body. I have nothing to do with the formation of this body except to preach the gospel and invite whosoever will to come to the Savior. It's Jesus who builds the body. He's the master architect. He's the Lord of the harvest. And he only knows when this body is divinely perfect and divinely finished. And I'm of the opinion that when it's finished, that will be the moment of the second coming of our Lord. Can you think of a more ideal moment? What would be the necessity of Jesus waiting another six months when the body is complete? Pray tell me. What would be the profit of the Lord waiting for another six months? The church is born again. Why wait six months? That'd be foolish. I don't believe the Lord will wait six minutes. But when the body is complete, He's going to come with a shout and the voice of the archangel and that body is going to lift it out of this earth and we're going to meet Jesus in cloud. No doubt in my mind about that. Now when we go out to meet Jesus in clouds, the first thing we're going to is the wedding in the sky. Oh, but preacher, the judgment seat first. No, the wedding comes first. Well, how do you know the wedding comes first? I know because Jesus speaks of the wedding first in Matthew 25 and speaks of the judgment second. Now Jesus knew what he was talking about. And may I remind you what earthly difference does it make either way? You say, well, I think the judgment seat has to come first. Will you be any more qualified to be a part of the body after the judgment seat of Christ than you are before? No. You're not qualified to be a part of the bride to begin with. My entire qualification is grace. And I won't become more qualified when I appear at the judgment seat of Christ. I won't be one bit more saved at the judgment seat of Christ than I am now. The judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether I'm a part of the body of Christ, not to determine whether I'm saved. No, my works are to be tried. My soul's salvation is already fixed. And it will be more fixed after the judgment. So it doesn't make any material difference. I wouldn't argue the point with you. I'm simply saying Jesus mentioned the marriage first. And then in the next parable, he mentions the uh, judgment seat of Christ, a reckoning day. So I'm going to take the order the Lord gave. 
Can't improve on that, can you? You're not smarter than he, that's for sure. So the marriage comes first. When we're raptured out, we go to the marriage of the Lamb. Now I'm betrothed. I'm espoused. I am engaged to the bridegroom now. And I'm awaiting the wedding day. Now that day is sure to come. As sure as you live, it's going to come. In fact, when Rebecca said yes to Abraham's servants, around her father's table, Bethuel's table. And that servant went out and got a golden bracelet and put it on her arm. And that golden bracelet on the arm of Rebekah was a seal and sign that she was the precious possession of Isaac. She had a foretaste of glory on her arm already. She was as much Isaac's bride right then. And she had never seen him. She had never been to this country. But she was as much Isaac's bride when she said, I will go. As she was later when she dismounted off her camel and pulled a veil off over her face and sanctified herself and looked at that beautiful valley and saw that man seated at the edge of the field at eventide. And she said to the servant, who is that man? And he proudly announced, that's my master's son, Isaac. And she pulled the veil and went into Isaac and became his wife. And he carried her into Abraham's tents. She was as much saved around the table of Bethuel as she was when she went into the tents of Abraham. Now I'm as much saved right now as I ever will be. I preach to you are boasting. You think you're something. No, no, not at all. I'm just a child of God. But I'm as much saved now as I ever will be. Don't you feel sorry for people that are hoping? Don't you feel sorry for people that are doing the best they can? Don't you feel sorry for people that are holding on lest they fail to make it? Don't you feel sorry? Aren't you glad that Jesus saved you and let you know it? And I'm just waiting for the marriage to come. Now, a marriage is as logical as it can be. And that marriage will take place when we're raptured out. We're going to the marriage of the Lamb. Now, always when you've got a marriage, you've got a celebration. Hardly ever we have a wedding here in our church. But what there isn't a reception, a celebration to follow. And always a celebration involves food. I have never been to a reception that didn't have some kind of food. The bigger the wedding, the more the food and the more the drink. The longer the reception, the more the food and the more the drink. And sometimes it gets pretty good. I mean, just to, just to go to a reception or just to a marriage supper as we know it on a small scale is not half bad. I rather like them, don't you? Yes, sir. Always when there's a wedding, there is a reception. Now, when we have a wedding with Jesus in the sky, there's going to be a marriage supper table stretched from sky to sky. And you talk about a reception. You talk about food. You talk about drink. You talk about fellowship. You talk about a company. You talk about an experience. You talk about a reality. You talk about a seal. We're going to have the most wonderful marriage feast you've ever heard of in your lifetime. And that's what the Bible talks about. Say, preacher, you're foolish to believe that. Well, my friend, I don't think I'm foolish to believe anything the Bible says. You may classify me as you may, 
But so far as I'm concerned, I don't think I'm foolish to believe anything I read in the Bible. And I read to you a moment ago about this marriage. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. It's the time. Now, you wouldn't have a wedding supper now. I'm enjoying being engaged, being betrothed, being born again. I enjoy salvation right now if there wasn't any second coming. But you know, the same book that tells me how to get saved also tells me what's going to happen to me after I get saved. You know, when I got born again, that's not the end. God didn't close the book and said, that's all you need now. He said, keep on reading. And I read the last chapter. I couldn't hardly wait to read the last chapter to see how this uh, romance is coming out. And when I read the last chapter, I read what I read to you a while ago. That in the end time, there's to be a great wedding feast. And the bridegroom shall be there, and the bride shall be there, and a lot of other folk are going to be there. And we call that the marriage of the Lamb. Now that marriage supper will take place immediately after the rapture. Now once we had the marriage and the marriage supper and the great reception in the sky, then we shall appear all before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to determine whether we were good enough to be part of the bride. That's already been determined. Not to find out whether we're going to heaven or not. We're already in heaven. We're with the Lord now. But my works are to be tried. My faith is to be examined. My giving is to be examined. My soul is to be examined. My holiness is to be tried at the judgment seat of Christ. And for all that I've done to God's glory, I'm to be rewarded. Not even a cup of cool water. I shall lose my reward for for every tithe, for every sermon, for every bit of the witnessing, for every soul I've been able to win, for everything I've ever done for the Savior. I'm to be rewarded or I'm to suffer loss if I build upon wood, hay and stubble. That follows the marriage. Now, let's talk about the marriage for a moment. A few things about the marriage that I'd call to your mind uh, in thinking along this particular line. It's a blessed reality. And I'm so glad that I have the assurance of it within my soul. And I would all of you that hear me preach now would join arm in arm with me and let's go to be with Jesus at the great marriage in the sky. You say, preacher, is there room for me? There's room for you. But I remind you, there is no accommodations without reservations. You won't be able to walk into this marriage and say, I've changed my mind. I think I'll now come. No, you have to send your reservations before you get there. You have to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life before you ever get there. You don't go there and then have it inscribed. You have it inscribed and then go. And you can't go without accommodations. You can't go without a reservation. But I'm here to tell you, you can have accommodations and a reservations if you'll come to the Savior and plead his atoning blood. Now, some things about the marriage. I'd remind you, first of all, an invitation to the marriage of the Lamb, I proclaim in my preaching. An invitation, I proclaim. And what a joy it is to proclaim this invitation. At the marriage of the Lamb, we're going to see some people there we would not think would make it. We're going to be disappointed and disillusioned 
in some faces that'll not be there that we thought surely would make it. An invitation I proclaim, and I have the authority of the scriptures to invite whosoever will to come and take of the water of life freely. Now I'm on my way, I'm going, I'm assured of it, and I'm not boasting. I don't glory in my flesh, God forbid. I glory only in the cross of Christ. But what I'm saying to you is, you can have the same invitation as your own, if you'll only accept it. My whole life is, is wrapped up in proclaiming the invitation. The invitation I proclaim, come now and make this reservation. Get things ready, get things ready. Or oh, if there ever was a time when foolish virgins need to get the oil, it's now. It's midnight. And if Jesus comes without you having the oil, it's going to be too late for you to get it at that midnight hour. Before the bridegroom comes, get the oil, my soul. Get the oil. So that when he comes, you may go in with those that are ready to the marriage. An invitation I proclaim. Then second, in anticipation of the marriage, I await. In anticipation, I await. There is nothing that I look forward to more proudly and with greater anticipation than the marriage of the second coming of our Lord. Somebody said to me the other day, Brother Harold, I wish you wouldn't talk about the second coming of Jesus because it upsets me, gets me nervous, and I get afraid when you start talking about the second coming. Well, my soul, that ought not to be so. And I'm not indicting you now. And I'm not saying that you're not saved. It isn't for me to say that. I'm not, I don't have the authority to, to indict any person in this building. But I'm saying to you that the preaching of the second coming ought not cause you to become fearful and afraid. In anticipation of the marriage, I await with fun, joy, and delight. What a moment that shall be when I hear the trumpet blast. I've never heard anything to compare with it. You haven't either. When that trumpet blast is heard, the sound of the trumpet is, is heard, before you could twinkle your eye, your mortal body will become immortal. Your corruptible body will become incorruptible. Your natural body will become spiritual. Your earthy body will become celestial. Say, preacher, that'll be an awful. No, it'll happen so quick, you won't even recognize it taking place. That quick, that quick, you shall be changed. Where's your scripture, preacher? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. And we shall be changed, said Paul. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Every saint of God will be changed quicker than you can snap your finger, quicker than you can twinkle your eye. And along with that change, we'll begin to rise to meet Jesus in clouds who then shall appear and we can see him with our eyes. How you like that? I preached his name for 34 years. I've trusted in his grace for 47. I'd sure love to see him face to face. And one day I shall, in anticipation, I await. Number three, in participation in the marriage, 
I am assured. An invitation I proclaim. In anticipation I await. To participation I am assured. I'm going to have a part in it. I'm going to participate. I'm going to be there. And when I get there, I shall not be dreaming. I'm going to be there in a real way. There's a plate reserved for me now. And the Savior shall guard himself and say to me, Come, son, this is yours. And I shall come and find my name at that plate around that marriage table in the sky. And Jesus shall say, This is yours. Sit down. And I shall sit down in the company of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul. I shall sit down in the company of Spurgeon, and Sunday, and Moody, and Sankey. I shall sit down in the company of 145 saints of God at Tabernacle, one of whom I buried last week. I shall sit down in the company of those saints that have outstripped me. I shall look down the table, and there they are. I can name them, 144 of them. 144. About 25 in 1973, we bared of our congregation. In participation, I assuredly await. And I'm going to participate in that marriage and sit down with those saints of God around that same table. You talk about a reunion. You talk about fellowship sublime. You talk about food heavenly. You talk about drink out of this world. You talk about a company of dignitaries, sure enough. I'm going to sit down with that heavenly company around that table one day and eat angel food and heavenly drink as sure as you live. In participation, I assuredly wait for that glad hour. Preacher, you're beside yourself. No, no, my friend. I am a believer. Can't happen, preacher. My friend, the Bible says it's going to happen. Let every man become a liar and God be true. An invitation to the marriage I proclaim. In anticipation of the marriage I await. To participation in the marriage I am assured. And then number four, to exultation at the marriage I earnestly await. I have no exultation now. The world counts me as the Oscowians of the earth. I'm looked upon as a fanatic first class because I preach like I'm preaching now. I'm looked upon as one that is not real. You're walking around in a cloud. You're walking around in a daze. And the world counts me as the Oscowans. Not much to him. Not much about him. Worthy of the mention. And I'll admit, my friend, that I've got a lot of scars and scuff marks and hard places and jagged points and a lot of self that I'm ashamed of and a lot of sin that I have confessed to my Savior. But you wait until God finishes rounding off those rough places and cleansing all the spots and the blemishes of my life. And God brings me through the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb and sits me down around that table. I won't have near as much self then as I've got now. I'll not have near as many jagged spots as I've got now. I'll not have near as many blemishes as I've got now. I'm going to be glorified in that moment. 
to exultation at the marriage, I earnestly await. Off scourings now, but I'm going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you like that, brother? If I've got a Jew listening to me today, if there's one Jew in my audience right now, I want you to know that though I'm a Gentile dog, I'm going to sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. <laughs> though there's not much to me, I'm going to sit down with Peter, Paul, James, and John. Amen. And the chief of all that company will be Jesus Christ of Nazareth who gave his life's blood upon the cross to make it all a reality in my life. To exultation at the marriage, I earnestly await. And then, to unification at the marriage, I am assured. To unification, reunion. My dead loved ones have not perished. I'm not separated permanently. They sleep in the grave until the morning. As Boaz said to Ruth, lie down at my feet until the morning. But Boaz said, when the morning comes, I'll be to thee a kinsman redeemer when the morning comes. And Ruth uncovered his feet and lay at his feet until the morning. And I mark you some golden daybreak. I'm going to have a morning. I'm going to get unified with all the dead saints that have followed me and outstripped me. Hallelujah. Going to see my child strike hands with mama, shake hands with some of my deacons. See old brother Frank, Mrs. Whitlock, see him again. Shake his hand again. Watch him nod his head at me while I'm preaching. Preach up! You're crazy! No, no, my friend. I'm waiting to be united with my loved ones that's outstripped me. And when I sit down at my place, I'll watch them come one by one and sit down with me. And I'll say, how do you do? Good to see you. Glory to his name. Blessed be the Lord. <laughs> you talk about a time, but you wait until we're all unified again and have reunion with our loved ones again around the marriage supper table. To unification at the wedding, I am assured. And then I remind you too that to consummation at the marriage, I rest. To consummation. You know, I don't have to worry about one thing. Jesus didn't say, now son, you go out and get the food. He didn't say, now son, you bring your chair with you. There'll be a crowd. He didn't say, now, son, you bring your a knife and fork with you. We might have a scarcity. <laughs> he sure didn't. All he said was, son, you just come. And I'll take care of the table. I'll take care of the chair. I'll take care of the food. And I'll take care of the knife and fork. And I'll get every one of my children in. There won't be one single one missing. God's going to finish up what he started. He's going to consummate all that he started. Some go to do. 
to the consummation of the marriage. Our rest. Don't have to worry about a thing. Preach up. It might not happen. Oh, my friend, it will happen. It's bound to happen. Because the Bible said it would happen. Amen. To consummation at the marriage, our rest. Praise the Lord. And then last but not least, to jubilation at the marriage, I rejoice. To jubilation, I rejoice. You talk about shouting. You talk about a holy laughter. You talk about rejoicing. You talk about being glad. I read a while ago where Jesus said, let us be glad and rejoice because the marriage of the Lamb is come. Brother, how can we help but rejoice when we see mama again? When we see our child again? When we see old Mrs. Bynum again? Dear Mrs. Lansdale again? And I could go on and name another dozen, some of them precious to you. Preach it, my brother, it's gonna happen. Don't come to me and say, it might not. I have the sure word of God. And the Bible says the stars may fall and the sun may not shine, but not a jot or tittle of my word will ever pass away until all of it becomes fulfilled. Don't talk to me about it might not. It might not happen. It's going to happen. And to the jubilation at the marriage, I rejoice. And when the saints begin to come in and sit down and praise the Lord and get glad and give honor to God, I want to join in with that. And I'm sure all of us will lift our hands and point to the Savior and say he paid it all. Jesus paid it all. An invitation to the marriage, I proclaim. In anticipation of the marriage, I await. To participation in the marriage, I am assured. To exultation at the marriage, I earnestly, patiently wait. To unification at the marriage, I am assured. To consummation at the marriage, I rest. And to jubilation at the marriage, I rejoice. That's the marriage of the Lamb. And it's going to happen. Most of you in this building are ready. And that's going to be a climactic day. A day indeed of rejoicing and gladness of heart. When they come from the east and west and north and south. And sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Lord, I want to be in that number. And by Calvary's precious fount, I shall be in that number when the saints go marching in. Aren't you glad for this assurance? If a man dies, shall he live again? We never have lived like we're going to live. You put that down. I live now, but I'm not nearly as much alive now as I shall be when I sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I get excited now, but I never have been as excited as I'm going to be. I sometimes shout now, but you never have heard me shout. You wait till I sit down at the marriage table and get excited, sure enough. 
the marriage of the Lamb. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now can you say the bride hath made herself ready? Only you can say that. Can you say the bride hath made herself ready? The wife hath made herself ready. One word and I close. How can I make myself ready? By going to Calvary. Plead in the name of Jesus. Trusting in the finished work of my Lord at Calvary is the only way to be ready. Now, if you've been to Calvary, you might not be worth much as far as the world is concerned. But you're headed to the greatest of all the events, the marriage of the Lamb. Right. May we bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to thank you for this blessed thought, the marriage. We're unworthy of such anticipation. But we believe the marriage is a reality and some golden daybreak. All the redeemed shall sit down around that great table and enjoy fellowship and enjoy the Lord. Enjoy the feast Jesus prepares, meets out to us at the great marriage of the Lamb. Lord, if there's one in the building that has not made reservations, help them to do it now. Help them to accept Jesus now so that when he comes, they that are ready went into the marriage and the door was shut. Don't let the door shut on anybody in this building or who heard me preach, I pray, until they've made their peace calling and election sure. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads bowed. May we stand to our feet, everybody. Stand right to your feet, will you? We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.